You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning, guys. My name is Ryan Rice. I serve as a lead pastor here at North Valley. want to encourage you uh, to participate. I got a special announcement uh, this morning. Uh, this afternoon, uh, about 5 o'clock, we're going to have a kind of a vision briefing for our new campus that we are developing right now. And uh, we kicked off uh, last week, and it went great. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been a part of that, just uh, if you ha- haven't RSVP'd, that's okay. Meet me after service, and I'll give you the special invitation to be there. It'll take about an hour, uh, a, little, a little more than an hour. We'll have hors d'oeuvres, drinks, and then um, get the opportunity to walk the campus and see it. It's really beautiful. Um, as kind of the dusk comes down, you can see kind of the lights on and, and, and some of this beautiful uh, wedding venue that we have purchased. And there's a great courtyard there. And so just if you um, uh, would you, if just stop by and if you just want to ask some questions about uh, the campus and our development project and all that. I want to encourage you to stop by immediately following service. There's a new here, start here table, and that's where you can get all the information, and I'd love to have you out this afternoon. So um, this morning, we are in a continuing in a teaching series called This is the Life. We've been working through First John, and uh, we're just a little bit past halfway, and so I hope that you found it encouraging and, and edifying to give you a great sense of what God desires for you to live the life that he has for you here and now and the life that is to come. And so um, here's what I want to do just to kind of set the stage this morning, very simple uh, yet uh, helpful message, I think, for us is that we're going to learn about eight ways we should love one another. And when I say love one another, I think that we can easily begin to think about love as being some feeling or emotion, although uh, love has that, it can bring that. I want to encourage you to think about love differently uh, by the world standards. Uh, love is what we're going to see this morning in the, the teaching of God's Word, is love is more like a choice. It's a choice that you make, and it's that, that the perfection of love being demonstrated to us, and we're going to see John's going to give two examples, the example of what love is to look like, and he's going to embody that in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and then he's going to show you what love doesn't look like. And I, I, if you're a learner like me, it's good to know what not to look like and what to look like. And so John is the nearest and the dearest of the disciple of Jesus. Um, he uh, was the youngest to begin to follow Christ. And then now he's the oldest, and he's writing with this fatherly tone to help his uh the churches that are spread out through the Roman Empire understand this incredible legacy in which they're to live is to be marked and noted by the way they love one another. Greatest commandments in all the Bibles, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your what? Neighbor. What connects those two commandments is love. That's what connects these. Love is this prominent virtue in Christian theology and ethics. And the beginning here that we're going to read in 1 John chapter 3, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. But just check this out. It says, John writes, and he says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. The vintage message of Christianity is this. He writes, that we should love one another. Love is not some feeling. Love is a distinctive, active choice in which we make. In the Old Testament, there's this understanding of a higher form of love involving loyalty and commitment and steadfastness. It's expressed in the Hebrew word hesed. 
And in John's thinking and his theology, he's bringing that vocabulary to bear upon the the early church to understand that the church has got to be committed in their love. It's not just a feeling. It's a commitment and a choice, and it's demonstrated. Jesus said, the world would know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And so John carries that message and says, this has got to be the legacy of our churches. Um, In the New Testament, there's this Greek word called phileo, and it means this natural affection. And as a believer in Christ, we need to have this affection towards other people like we care for them. We want their well-being. And the reality is, is right, is we can all be unloving people. But what the Lord calls us to, and he commanded John, the apostle, and John commands the church, is to operate and live in such a way that we're demonstrating our love for one another. This word phileo occurs 25 times. It's the same word that helped shape and form even uh, the big city on the East Coast, Philadelphia. The city of brotherly, finish the sentence, love. So there's this characterization of, of a Christian that, that love ought to permeate or mark or identify the church, Christians. Not hate, but love. Don't live in darkness, live in the light. Don't live in lies, live in the truth. Don't walk in fear, but live by faith. So John is a master of contrast. And this morning we're going to see he calls us to love one another, and that's radically different than the world around us in their understanding of love in a way what God calls us to do. So this ought to shape your thinking about how you parent. This ought to shape your thinking about how your marriage is. This ought to shape how you express and show love to your neighbors and your community and to your family and to your workplace. The note, the mark of our church isn't bigotry or hatred, it's love. That's, that's the sign, that's the symbol. It's the fruit of our faith is love. And so the Apostle John's context, he's countering kind of this loveless conceit in Gnostic Christianity, and his concern is that we at least follow the greatest commandments. The greatest commandments in all the Bible, um, Jesus echoed that out of the uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish thinking and theology called the Shema, the first and the second greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, and that we ought to love our neighbor. So Any church, any Christian can have a great influence and great impact if they commit themselves to the great commandments. Do you know the greatest commandments to love God and love neighbor? That's your greatest responsibility in life. Let me help simplify your purpose in life is simply seek to make those things happen. Loving God, taking active priority to honor, exalt Christ, love him with your life, love him with your time, your money, everything you have, love him. Because he's going to help you more than anybody else in the world. He's the creator and the sustainer of all of life. And so there's this love that we need to have for God. And then there's this love that ought to flow to people. And that's the mark. And we're to live by that. And in John's context, he's saying, don't miss this. If you're noted or you're characterized by unlovingness, that's not the mark of genuine Christianity. John calls for love in action. His mind, he's recalling the very words of Christ when he calls us to keep the commands and lay down our life just like Christ has. Love here is not some abstract, mushy, gushy thing here that John's talking about. It's a concrete 
real, understandable deal that it's demonstrated. Love is the fruit of our faith. Love is that. It's the evidence that something's going on in here. So this morning, let's do this. We'll go ahead and stand, and I'll read the text, walk through it, and give you eight ways in how to love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, it says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, and we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death and into life because we love, we love the brothers. Whoever does not uh, love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that a murderer, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, do your work through your spirit. Illuminate the scriptures and give us a greater love and capacity for understanding who you are and what you call us to live like. In the name of Christ, everybody said, amen. This morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through eight different ways that we're to love one another. Your second greatest responsibility in life is to love people. It's to show an special love, especially for those that call themselves of the household of faith, the church, that you're to demonstrate this love, not just with some feeling that you have, but a genuine concern and care for people's well-being. First thing that John tells us to do is that we're not to be like Cain. We're not to act like Cain or live like Cain or look like Cain. If you live, have a life that's representative of Cain, John's going to warn you, you're only going to create more pain. And so here's what he says in the beginning. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. John uses Cain as an illustration of a negative example of an unloving person. He says, if you're, in a sense, going to look like Cain, this is not good at all. Look what he says. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, in Genesis chapter 4, there's this example. Adam and Eve uh, have been created in God's image. And from that, Adam and Eve's first son is a young farmer who makes an offering to God, Cain, and the Lord rejects it because of his motive or his method. And then 
uh, Abel is the one that uh, God shows his favoritism towards, and Cain gets really angry. Three things I want to show you about the life of Cain. Cain was really jealous. He was incredibly jealous about his brother receiving some kind of favor from God, and he didn't. He was jealous, and, and he was even angry. He began to grow in anger against, against God's ways and God's word, and he gets angry towards his brother, and his anger turns into revenge. And the Bible says that Cain rose up and murdered his brother. And you say to me today, well, Ryan, I'm not a murderer. But Jesus uses it so far, he stretches us to understand that even the thought or the action of hatred is like murder. And the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever by Jesus, he talks about stuff like if, you've, if you lust after another person, you've already just committed adultery and before the Lord. If you have a hatred in your heart and you hatred leads to killing and murder, and that's where the natural pathway is, he's saying that's like murder. Murder is something that happens not just by accident. Murder is an intent where there's anger, there's revenge. Generally what you see in life is that hurt people hurt people. And when there's a pain and there's anger that's being undealt with, there can be this revengeance and this violence. And John says the first thing you need to know, if your life is to be marked by love, you can't be like Cain. You can't be like him at all. Let me ask you a question. Do you have undealt with jealousy in your heart for another person? I want to tell you something that's dangerous. Jealousy does no good. It robs you of your joy and it blinds you of your reality that God's calling you to. And we need to walk away from jealousy. Jealousy, anger, and revenge. That's like trash in your heart. It'll never help you to love people better. It will only lead to hatred. So if you've got undealt with anger towards somebody, be careful Terrible thoughts can come across your mind where you're vindictive and even seeking revenge. And your heart and your attitude doesn't reflect that of a loving father. It reflects that more of a lying father, the father of lies, which is the devil. And John says the first thing, don't be like Cain. I want to encourage you, if you've got jealousy, anger in your heart or revenge that's going undealt with, look at it as that's trash and it's going to taint and tear up your own life and the life that God calls you to. Take out the trash. That's called confession and repentance. Anytime there's this going on, this anger, this jealousy, this vindictive ideas or mentality or even revenge or retaliation, acknowledge it as sin and call it what it is. It's trash and it's filth. And the Lord wants you to take that to him and give that to him. If you store up trash in your house over time and you don't take it out, your house stinks. And in the same way in your own spiritual life, if you don't take care of that and recognize this stuff, look out. Second thing we're going to see this morning is that you don't need to be surprised You don't need to be surprised if you're going to live a life that's honoring to God and faithful to him, like Abel, who was considered righteous, people are going to hate you. Don't be surprised is what the text says. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The world hates oftentimes uh, the, uh, the, when people are living in the light. When you first come to church as a, maybe an unbeliever, you can feel really uh, skittish like a cat on a hot tin roof. 
you're, 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 you're a little freaked out or a little panicked and very uncomfortable. And the reason why that is is because that's where the light of God begins to shine and it exposes areas of darkness, does it not? And when you spend time with other believers, sometimes you feel like, God, there's something unholy about me and I'm feeling exposed. And if you don't come to walk in the light and begin to let the light of Christ shine into your life, you'll grow with a hatred against Christ and his people. And Taylor Swift said it like this, haters are going to hate, hate, hate. And now here's my encouragement to you, shake it off. Shake it off. They're going to hate you. When you stand up for Christ in the workplace, people are going to hate you. When you bow down to worship the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, he's the most loved and the most hated person. Why? Because he's inclusive in relationships and exclusive in doctrine. And so, Ed, John's warning you, please don't, don't be like Cain. Don't be surprised. Here's the point. Love's going to lead to life. Hate's going to lead to death. 1 John 3, 14 through 15 says this. We know that we've passed out of death and into life. We live a new life, because we love the brothers. That's evidence of our love for one another is that we're loving people. Whoever does not, whoever does not love abides in death. If you live a life in hatred, anger, and you got no peace, the reality is that you're not living the life that God's called you to live. There's evidence that you, well, the reason why you have such a hard time loving is because you haven't experienced the love of Christ. So as a church, as Christians, what we do is we receive the love of Christ and we let it come to us and, it let, and we allow it to work through us. Don't dam it up. Don't dam up the love of the, the river of God where he flows love into your life and then you build a dam to hold it. It's supposed to flow to you and through you. Amen? And so John warns us. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Why does he say that? Does he think everybody's just murdering people? No, he's actually exposing the very teaching that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. If you have hatred against people, it's like you've already murdered them. See, Jesus, sin is sin. Big sins, little sins, it's all sin. It's all offensive and wrong. It's a deviation of God's perfect ways. And he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's not this sense of life. Life, uh, the love of Christ leads to life. When you live a life that's uh, in constant jealousy, anger, and revenge, and hatred, love is going to lead to life, and hate is going to lead to death. And it's exemplified in the life and the work of Cain. Number three, don't be closed. John challenges us, don't be closed. Don't close our hearts towards people in need. You drive by every single day and you see people in need, but a lot of times you just don't even have eyes to see. You don't see the needs of the people in your neighborhood group. You don't see the needs of the people in your community because your eyes are, you, they're desensitized. You've, you've dismissed so many times and it can become habitual and routine. And he challenges us, look, if we're gonna love other people, don't be closed. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in needs yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Specifically, John's challenging people to think through that if God's given you material possessions and, and enough stuff to help somebody out, but you, when you see somebody in need, and the greatest example is the parable of the Good Samaritan, 
is when you see an opportunity and you see somebody in need, but you just pass by because you're too busy or you don't care or you overlook constantly. John's challenging you like, don't close your heart. You, that can happen a couple times, but when you consistently, continually shut down your heart and some of you say, well, I don't have a lot to offer. Well, you know, John specifically uses the world's goods here and he says the world's good. He's talking about the level of wealth that people have. In today's world, there's over 1 billion people that make less than $2 a day. Let me ask you a question. Do you make more than $2 a day? The poor in the U.S. are richer than 70% of the rest of the world. If you make $34,000 of annual income in global standards, you live uh, with an elite amount of wealth. If you have a refrigerator or a roof over your head, a place to sleep, and you have food to eat, uh, you are rich by global standards. More than 75% of the, uh, the rest of the world doesn't have that. So there's a challenge for us to not close our hearts, but to open our hearts. So how do you fight these attitudes of indifference? I'll give you three simple ways is that you be concerned. You pray for God to give you concern for people around you. Be concerned for the community you live in, the neighborhood you are in the friends that you interact with, people in this church, be caring and be compassionate. This is the mark of a genuine Christianity. Number four, I want to challenge you to live sacrificially. It says this, it says, by this we know that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That we're to be noted just like Jesus was to sacrificially lay down his life. Jesus went to the cross, and in going to the cross, he did two things. One is that he showed us what love looks like. But he didn't go just to die a martyr's death and be a great example. He went to save us. He came for us, took action and initiative, and saved us. It would be like if you went to Lake Pleasant, and you're standing on the dock, and your friends told you, hey, you don't know how to swim. And you say, well, I'm going to swim across this lake anyway. I'm going to prove you wrong. And you go in for the dock and you jump off the dock and you start swimming across the lake. And if you don't know how to swim, what's going to happen? You're going to drown. But then Christ comes. He comes across the dock, jumps in the, the lake and pulls you out and gives you a rescue preserver. But in the fight and in the fuss and in trying to save you, he drowns and he dies. See, when Christ went to the cross, he willingly, lovingly came for you Sick, sinner, wounded, hurt, in pain, in misery, separated, life and death, and says, I'm going to make a way for life. I'll resuscitate, I'll renew, I'll restore, I'll redeem, and he does that. And so love for the Christian ought to work to us, and we ought to receive that love, and then it works through us. And so Christ, if you experience that love on a more regular basis and you say, God, I want to know the magnitude, the, the height, the depth of your love for me, for saving me, then what happens is your heart begins to fill up with love. And then when the pressures come, it squeezes out, if you will, nothing but love. See, love is to flow to us and it is to flow through us. And John here says, by this we know love that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Notice what it says, ought to. We ought to do this. 
sacrifice like he sacrificed, forgive like he forgave. Is that true of you? Is your life noted by sacrifice or self-interest? Is your life noted by bitterness or forgiveness? Sacrifice like he sacrificed, forgive like he forgave. That's what God's calling us to. And in that, there's so much life. When you're that kind of person, you're walking in line with God's perfect design. You're a vessel for his work. You're a messenger of hope to the people around you. You find his blessing and his favor in living like that. But it's not just a good model. Oh no, he's a great rescue. Your rescue. You live sacrificially because he lives sacrificially. And you're to do this and demonstrate this constantly and continually. And as you dry up and you got no more sacrifice and no more forgiveness, you go back and you look back at the cross. And you remember who came in for you. You remember what he did for you. So today, I tell you, John says this, is let's not just talk about it. Don't just talk about this idea of loving people. That's not going to do any good. Talk is cheap. It'd be a better idea if you kind of own this mantra, is talk less and do more. That's just a better idea in life. Just talk less and do more. Let your actions prove what you believe. With your kids, don't overpromise and underdeliver. With your friends, talk is cheap. Show them you love them. Show them you care for them. Show them there's compassion. Show them that you're connected and you know the one who is love in the way you live. Talk less, do more. Don't just talk about it. Here's what John says. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Show your love. Prove your love. That's the greatest testimony. That's the greatest testimony for all of Christianity is what, how we live. Jesus said it like this. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good works. That's what we're talking about. God saved you for good work. That's why he saved you. So that you could demonstrate and declare the righteousness of God so that people could see that and go, man. Now, there's different kinds of churches. There's good news churches. There's good work churches. And there's good advice churches. And all of them are good. Good advice is just, let me tell you how to live a life. This is great. And those principles are true and they apply and it's wonderful. And we do that at North Valley. We teach good advice. There's good news churches talking about the great news of Jesus that when you were struggling, when you were drowning, Christ came in, came and rescued you. And in the process, he died a death that you deserved. That's good news. And then there's good work churches. Talk about all the time. Just, just uh, churches that need to clothe, clothe the, the naked, feed the poor, help the homeless, help the orphans, help the widows, all that. That's good works. Let me tell you something. All of it is true. But if there's not good works in your life or in any church, you ask the question, how vibrant is your ministry? How influential is it? Because you know what the world wants to know? They don't just want just good advice and they don't want just good news. They want to see good work. Because if you believe really about Jesus Christ, then it'll be demonstrated in your works. What you do determines what you believe. So today, John says, don't just talk about it. Now here's what's going to happen. You can walk out of here and there's a lot of, the enemy would love to play uh, wreak havoc upon your soul and your conscience 
and give you a strong spirit of self-criticism that would make you even feel condemned like God doesn't love you. And John knows that, and look what he says. Here's what we're going to learn, that we need to shut down condemnation. When you live the life with, with God and you're walking in obedience, there's this confidence that's going to rise up, but you're still going to need to stand up and shut down condemnation. It's the voice of the enemy. He says this, By this we shall know that we're of the truth. By what? By proving your love, by showing your love, by demonstrating your love in action. He says, by this, this refers to what was before the deeds in action and truth. We shall know that we are of the truth because we're walking in truth, living in truth, demonstrating truth. And he says, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, Yes, your heart can condemn you. When you hear condemning thoughts like you're really not a child of God, you are unforgivable, unlovable, John says, whoa, wait up. Don't let your heart condemn you. He says, God is, remind yourself, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Here's what you need to know in order to fight this uh, condemnation that can come and rob you of the joy and the journey that God has for you is you need to be able to discern the voice of the enemy. What does that look like? Three things. It contradicts God's commands. When you hear a, a voice and it begins to tell you you're not even loved by God because you, you blew it last week. Well, the Bible says that Christ died once for all sins. The sins last week, this week, and next week. That he loves you yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That you're safe and you're secure with him. So the enemy, what we'll do is he'll contradict the very commands that God gives us in his word. And it happens consistently throughout scripture. So when you have a thought, you have a feeling that you're, you're like, this is bringing great stress upon my life. You got to do two things. One, you got to figure out, is this, is this kind of the counsel of the Holy Spirit or is this condemnation from the enemy. And the counsel of the Holy Spirit will always lead you to peace. It won't create more anxiety. It will convict you, but it'll lead you to a holiness and hope. Here's the second thing that the enemy does. It creates anxiety and not peace. And John's actually writing to help Christians understand they have an assurance of their salvation, that they're set and they're secure, but there's a way in which to live out the faith and so when you have the constant anxiety and not peace, you got to be careful. This can be the voice of the enemy, and you need to shut down that condemnation. Jesus offers peace. He says in Romans 5, he says uh, that Christ loved the world, and, and through him he creates peace between God and man, and that we can know peace through the peace giver and the peacemaker. And so... Again, we see the voice of the enemy will even accuse and condemn. And so you have to guard your heart and be mindful of the things and the thoughts that come through your mind and your heart to realize that there'll be accusations and a condemnation that comes against you and you go to God's word. Number seven, here's what we're gonna learn is that we need to have confidence before God. A confidence before God. He says, beloved, and now he uses a very affectionate term to help us understand something. He says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have a confidence before God. When you begin to overcome this condemnation and speak the truth 
and you are living in faithfulness, you're going to find a fruitfulness upon your life and a joy that comes with walking with the Lord. And there'll be a steady confidence. It's like you're, you're following the plan, right? Like you're, 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 you're living out the design that God calls you to. Is the Bible good advice? Yes. Is the Bible full of good news? Yes. Is the Bible calling us to good works? Yes, it is. So like my son, he plays football, and his job is, is to know the plays and run his route. And if you, run, if you play, if you know the plays and you run your route, guess what? There's a steadiness and a development of confidence that begins to take place. Anytime you try something new at the beginning, it can be hard, but when you do it over and over again, there's this confidence and steadiness that comes into your life. And it's the same way with the Christian faith. Maybe you need to practice confession, taking out the trash, naming sin, sin. Maybe you need to start practicing more forgiveness because you are damming up the love of God. The love of God wants to flow to you and then you build a dam and let it stay there. And the Lord says, no, no, no. Let it flow through you. Because when you do, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice demonstrated in action and commitment. If I chased every feeling I had, I'd be divorced 10 times over. If I chased every feeling I have, I would be a terrible father. If I chased every feeling I have, I wouldn't be in Phoenix, Arizona. Love is a choice. And I want to be noted and I want to leave a legacy of God's love working in and through me. How about you? See, the world will know that you're a disciple of believer in Christ by the way you love one another. We can have confidence in God as we live out his word in his ways. Look what John says, verse 22. And he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You got to have confidence to pray and ask God for big stuff sometimes. But you can do that when you're close to him. See, if you know somebody that has a lot of influence or power and you make a request and you're close, you approach with a level of confidence because there's a level of trust there. And you don't make requests that are just going to get shut down. You make calculated asks. You think about it ahead of time. See, when you're walking close with the Lord, like John chapter 15 talks about, you're just, you're with him. Like you're, you're, you're enveloped with him, his presence, his power. His desires are more like your desires, like you're in fellowship with him. You make requests and God honors those requests. He might not always give you the answer that you want, but he'll answer. John calls us to do that, that we can have a confidence before the Lord. Verse 23, and he says, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. What did he command? The basic commandments, love God and love neighbor. And John calls us to remind us of that. He calls us to fulfill that and love people. So who needs love here in this church? Here's who needs love. Single moms and young moms, children of North Valley kids, they need your love. The elderly, especially those who are are sick or have lost a spouse, they need love. Can you see them? Do you know them? Do you love them? The sick, the hurting, they need love. Volunteers, neighborhood group, 
They need love. There's a lot of people out all the time working on the campus in hours you don't see. You know how you can show them love? By helping out. Serving. How to help. You can email them and tell them you're praying for them. You can encourage them that you're going to help and tell them, hey, I want to help out. How can I help you get a day off? You can share the need with your spouse and you can work something out and to help somebody in need. You can ask how to be praying for that person when you see them in the hallway. You can go visit them in the hospital. You can serve. You can give respite. You can do that. I want to encourage you if you're moved by that and you want to figure out a way that you can better show love and you just can't see the person in need right around you, I'll help you. I'll help you show the people that need your love. Let this be a loving church. Let God's love flow to you every Sunday. Amen? Let it flow through you every day of the week. Let it flow through you every single day. That'll be the greatest testimony and witness to our church is the way you love one another. You want to see this church grow rapidly? Just go out and love people every single day. You'll be the most influential person around. You'll be the most life-giving person around because it's the way you love one another. Love people. Love people, love people. Your greatest responsibility in life is to love God and love neighbor. Your second greatest responsibility is loving people. It's a great privilege to share and show the love of Christ to people. So how are we going to do this? I want to encourage you, you practice being in God's presence. You spend time with him. There's nobody more loving than him. Be in the presence of God. I don't teach to you some history lesson on Sunday. I don't teach to you some archaic cultural tradition, but I teach to you about the living God, about the presence and the power of Christ, the creator and the CEO of the universe. And as you walk in fellowship with him, there's this holiness that presides upon your life and it goes with you everywhere you're at. And it's what brings you hope, right? Walking in the presence of God, knowing him more and more day to day, like, that's why you come here, because you're meeting and encountering Christ. Let me encourage you something. You can meet him every single day. You don't have to just be here at church to meet with God. You can practice being in God's presence. Pray, seek solitude. Just the other day, I spent the whole day in Sedona. That's a place to get spiritual. I met Jesus, though, and spent time with him, the creator and sustainer of all of life. See the creation and marvel at that and re- recognize how God has generally revealed himself to the world around us. Spend time, practice the very presence of God. John calls us to do that. He says, whoever keeps his commands and abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit walks with you, He wants to minister to you, and guess what? He wants to minister through you. Let me tell you something. If you've received Christ as Lord, you're not just a member of this church. You're a minister of this church. You're a minister of God's love to the world around us. Every single day, you've got a mission field. Your mission field is where you live. Your responsibility is to do two things, love God and love people. Can you do that? Can you simplify your life for me? Because as you do, I promise you, you'll find more joy. You'll find more peace. You'll be a greater blessing and contribution to the people around you and even to this church. And you're expanding the kingdom of God as you experience the love of God and extend that love of God to people. Here's your next step. I want to invite the worship team up. Your next step is to do this, is ask God who he wants you 
to share or show the love of Christ to this week and go do something about it. So let me refresh you of people that need love in our church. The single moms need love. The young moms need love. The children need love. The elderly need love. The sick need love. The volunteers need love. There's a lot of people that need love. You've heard it said before, where is the love? And so I ask you, where's the love? Man, let our church be known. Let us leave a legacy. I said it in first service and I'll say it again. Man, I'm, I'm just trying to do what God's called me to do before I go home. And I don't know how many years he'll give me. I pray he gives me 30 years here in the North Valley in one church, one legacy, learning to love God and learning to love people. That's a lifetime journey, is it not? Because more people are moving in and there's a lot more responsibility to take on. But this church has a calling. This church has a responsibility to love the, this generation with the love of Christ. So I'm going to help you understand that you're not just a member of God's family, but you're a minister of his gospel, his good news. So if you would stand up, and I'm going to ordain you here this morning as a minister of the gospel. In response to the word of God that I have just taught, which is consistent with the teachings out of our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and for all Christians in all generations, may it be known on the Lord's Day here in Phoenix, Arizona, and beyond that on Sunday, November 6, 2016, I, Ryan Rice, the founding elder of North Valley Community Church, hereby appoint you all brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ to be a minister of the gospel. I charge you in the name of Christ and in the presence of this church to go and love the lost, love the least, and love the last. Go forth from here on this day with a quiet confidence and a sure calling to love your neighbors with the same love that God himself has demonstrated to you on the cross of Calvary of the giving of his son. As he laid down his life, will you lay down yours? As he chose to forgive, could you forgive? As he chose to serve, would you serve? As he chose to give, will you give generously? As he chose to love, would you learn to love well? And may your works here on earth echo into eternity. And from generation to generation, we, the people of North Valley, shall share and show the love of Christ to the 91,000 people that drive by our area of influence, our campus. From the rims of Black Canyon City to the cozy homes of Anthem, let's share the love of Christ. From the foothills of the Sonoran Preserves and Fireside to the expansive communities in Vistancia and the Lake Pleasant area, let's share and show the love of Christ. From Deem Hills to Deer Valley, from Pinnacle Peak to Happy Valley, share and show the love of Jesus Christ. From the shops of Norterra to the North Canyon Ranch community, let's share and show the love of Christ. From the mountaintops to the viewing decks of Deer Valley, let's send up a prayer for this generation and ask God as he's done it in generations past to raise up and save an entire region for Christ, would he do it again in our community? 
Would he do it again in our valley? Let's ask God to do it again. From all around the communities nestled in and around Cave, Cave Creek and Carefree, North Valley Parkway, new builds, let us be the first people to show up and help show off the glory and the story of God. With all these new residents moving in, let this church, let us, every member here, be a minister of the gospel from the hospital rooms to the living rooms to the classrooms to the boardrooms. Let Christ be exalted in and through you. Will you go forth from here as members of this church and realize you're a minister of God's grace? Every member hereby on this day is a minister of the gospel. There's not a professional minister here. We're all ministers, amen? Every member hereby has influence, empowerment, and access to an almighty God. You're made to make a difference. You're a person called out in this community, in this generation, for this time. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled up continually, consistently. You are sealed and you are empowered for a great work ahead of you. Love one another. Love one another with the same love that Christ said and called John to love and all the other leaders after him. And as we leave this place today at Harkin Cedar, let there be a trail of God's goodness, his grace follow you in your hearts, in your home, in your work, and in your community. And with your words, let's bless. And with your hands, let's build. And with your hearts, let's love. And so we can offer this community and we live in everything. How can we do this? By the love of Christ, we can offer this community everything. For he alone is the power to change everything and everyone. And might we be governed by his grace and throttled by his spirit till his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go today and share and show the love of Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.